Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. I'm Himra Chenault, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Lanta Carroll, interim pastor of Families in Formation. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations. Because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Avenue, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit. Where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds, and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. So this is the first Sunday in November. November is such an important month in the lives of, of so many people. It's especially a trying and heavy time for our Native siblings. It's also known as Native American Heritage Month or Indigenous Peoples Month. With this new month, we're in a new sermon series. We're calling it Unearthed, Land, Heritage, Story. So we're still talking about story. Story is so integral in this process, the importance of story. But we're focusing on stories of the land, untold stories biblical stories, unearthed stories. One of the goals of this series is to help us become better storytellers, to literally tell better stories. Because we know that dominant culture has created narratives that excuse genocide, subjugation. These fabrications include stories about the pilgrims and the Indians, the first Thanksgiving. These stories were invented in the progressive era. Experts agree that the image of this first Thanksgiving was adapted from some early American writings, but have never been corroborated historically, right? We hope that by uplifting land narratives, contemporarily and biblically, we can offer a more honest story one that includes the story of near genocide and a call for reparations and repentance. That being said, I wanna take a moment to acknowledge those upon whose land we are standing right now. This land, the original inhabitants were the Mississippian peoples. Their descendants, the Creeks or the Muscogee and the Cherokee lived here. The largest creek town called Standing Peachtree or Pakanuli, located where the Chattahoochee River meets Peachtree Creek. It's just south of what is now known as Vinings. It was named for a large peach tree that grew in the mound of the town. There were many small villages along the Chattahoochee and farms. There are many stories to hear and to learn and so many that have been forgotten as well. I want to acknowledge these first peoples to bring them into this space by name, to thank them for being stewards of the land, and acknowledge their miraculous survival today despite attempted genocide. 
As we heard in our call to worship by the poet laureate Joe Harjo, she is the first native woman to be named poet laureate. She describes so beautifully the interweaving of story, its connection to the land. I'll say it again, there is a map, a series of maps that are there here and have always been there here. They are transparent and layered one on top of another, one generation over generation. The lines of connection are relentlessly weaving. We are connected to these ancient Mississippian ancestors. Our stories are layered one on top of another. Our connection, our history, the land. We need to connect to the stories of first people, to connect with oppression, subjugation, and also to connect with beauty and resilience. To stop telling made-up stories, fantasies. To teach real history, not to become overcome with regret, not to slip into shame, but to connect with truth and begin a path toward a theology that refuses to rationalize colonization, that refuses to subjugate, that refuses to other. In preparing for this sermon series, I met with my dear friend, Erica Little Wolf, who is a Northern Cheyenne woman. She lives in Montana on a reservation where she cares for her dad. She's an artist, she's a creative. She researches and educates Christians about the doctrine of discovery. We saw that trailer. There's a larger documentary that she's a part of. She enlightens people about the evolution of this papal bull. What's a papal bull, right? A papal bull is a decree by the Catholic Church, a series of decrees that becomes this doctrine of discovery. And we heard in the trailer, the doctrine is connected to government. It actually becomes law. Through history, this doctrine becomes incorporated in international law, in US law. This gave European Christians the right, these are white European, often settlers, the right to take indigenous lands, claiming that the land was empty. So the doctrine of discovery originates in our faith. We can't distance ourselves from that. The theology of how oppression of people and theft of land is rationalized, is hidden in an evangelistic call to convert. It's rooted in a denigration of all faith systems besides Christian and couched in hierarchical thinking that places Christianity at the apex. This is why we need to uncover unearth stories of the land. Because the call toward what I like to call white historical amnesia is appealing. It is. It's easy to say, let's move on, let's move forward, let's forget. Right? Because what will we discover? What will we do with that information? Right? It's easier to attempt to forget. It's easier to forget that our faith system that is so life-giving and freeing to so many also rationalized oppression. Yes. Well, I would say it's easy, but it's not easy for everyone. It's clear for a lot of us. It's clear because our faith does continue to oppress and leave out and marginalize. Yes. 
right? So if we are gonna uproot these harmful stories, both historically and contemporarily, we need to look at our thought patterns around them. We have to unearth this thinking to remove this poison from its source. We have to look at passages that have been used to justify colonization within our biblical text. We can begin with biblical stories that have been used to right? Then we might learn how to do differently in recasting this vision of the story of God, we can begin to imagine differently. Today, we're going to be making art, and I think that will help us imagine, tap into our creativity that is in all of us. We begin to have a vocabulary to tell better stories. This is the call issued by Melvin Bray, this is a call to justice, telling better stories. The call to tell more honest stories is a call to reparations. It is a call toward a theology that never oppresses again. The foundation of what became the justi justification of the doctrine of discovery lies in the land narratives of the Bible. So today, we confront one of these difficult texts in the book of Joshua. We read in the first part, Joshua, the new leader of the Israelites who followed Moses, the scripture describes the taking of the land. It provides an example of colonization seemingly rationalized in the actions of these people set apart by God. The texts like this have been misused historically to show a biblical precedent. So, they were cited in the, doc the doctrine of discovery. The opening verse of Joshua establishes a baseline, a reoccurring theme, many commentators suggest. And if this is the theme, then it's important that we look at it and interpret it correctly to tell a better story. What's the real lesson here, right? It's important, not just because it's in the canon, not just because it's in the Old Testament, but because we're missing something if we think that this is a message that's supposed to rationalize oppression, right? This scripture in Joshua provides straightforward guidelines and advice on how one must act as a follower of Yahweh. How must I act to honor and embody the great mystery of God? How must I move in the world as a person set apart? Four simple words stuck out to me and ring loud from this text, be strong and courageous. This bold statement as a refrain, it sings out like a sounding horn, echoing through the entire text to me, be strong and courageous. But if we're interpreting the meaning incorrectly, we must ask again, how? How are we to be strong? The text answers plainly, be strong by leaning on the law of God. How can we be courageous? The text says, obviously, be courageous to trust God. Simplistic, it might seem, but we've gotten it wrong. We've confused it. Be before the charge to be strong and courageous, the text gives specific instructions about entering the land, right? It's often interpreted as a historical or literal action, but much like the invented stories of the first Thanksgiving, this has never been historically corroborated. And I don't say that to say it's not important. 
It is important, but it might help us to draw a different conclusion. The conclusion isn't, go take over people, you have the right, right? The strength and courage the text is calling upon so boldly is not about land acquisition. It's this false historical lens that has gotten us off track, right? The text is about strength and courage to follow the law, to follow God's way, to honor our neighbors. And this is the example that we need to look for and uncover. We cannot forget the context in which this writing comes out of. This is a colonized Israelite nation. They were subjugated under Babylonian rule. The fact that is based in historical evidence, the scriptures envision a way toward freedom for an oppressed people. Right? A vision of God's promise. The text declares powerfully every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. This could sound like an open invitation. It could appear to be carte blanche for, for conquest, ripe ground for rationalization. This is where we have gone astray. But as we will notice, because we read carefully, and we're dedicated to reading the Bible before the invitation to the land, the boundaries are set out and pronounced almost as clearly. We've been caught in an interpretive loop, and so we must look closely. The text details specific boundaries for the land, from the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, from this landmark to that boundary water, every place you tread upon within. These are the boundaries. Be strong and courageous. Trust in the Spirit of God. The landmarks are clear. The wilderness and the great river. Put your faith in the revelation of God's word. Be strong and courageous within boundaries. Christian mystic and writer Howard Thurman, y'all know I love Howard Thurman, in his work for The Inward Journey, asserts, think twice before you move your neighbor's landmarks. There is ancient wisdom in this timely caution. Mosaic law asserts more strongly than Thurman in no, in no uncertain terms. Deuteronomy 19:14, you must not move your neighbor's boundary marker set up by former generations on the property that you will be allotted in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Today, I urge us to be strong and courageous, recognizing boundaries laid out. Be strong and courageous to follow the law, the states, to respect the lands of the people that were here before. Confusion of strength with conquest is not unlike confusing courage with dominance, when in reality the opposite is true. Strength is found in maintaining boundaries, courage discovered in refusing to oppress another. I say again, there is strength in not participating in the oppression of others, and there is courage in refusing to benefit from systems that do oppress. So this is a problematic text. We hear that a lot in progressive Christian circles, right? We need to hold in tension this narrative with the paradigmatic meta-narrative of salvation. But it's problematic still, right? It's problematic because genocide is problematic because our history as a colonizing, slaving country is problematic because white supremacist 
ideology, this illness, is rooted in Christian belief. So we need to uproot it, right? It's a problem because ancient treaties are still being violated to build pipelines and get access to resources. It's a problem because there were an estimated 95 million folks that lived in North and South America before Europeans came, and after the end of the era of extermination, there were one million. This post-colonial world, right, where we read this text, it's been rationalized, it's been used to rationalize crusades, both in the past and modern evangelical movements, right? It's a problem. It's a problem because settlements expand into Palestinian territory. It's a problem because rainforests are burning. We have forgotten the stories of our land. Joy Harjo says the lines of connection are relentlessly weaving, relentlessly patterning, rhythmically, mythically, and historically by image, sound, and sense. We are relentlessly connected whether by solidarity or oppression, we are connected by image, sound, and sense, by history, harmony, or discord, the suppression of native peoples, the subjugation of enslaved peoples of all kinds, indigenous, African, Caribbean. This connects us all. The boundary stones of so many have been moved, despite a faith that says, love your neighbor. Post-colonial interpretation by Joshua Mwebisango says, precisely because these stories of genocide and massacre shock us, they warn us that construction of identities that are exclusive and are religiously sanctioned lead to genocide and the extermination of entire ethnic groups. We must resist absolutism. We must be able to question and re-examine stories told for too long. The warning of Joshua in the text is clear. Stay within your boundaries, right? I say this to myself. Be strong and courageous to stay in my lane. Be strong and courageous to honor the landmarks of First Peoples. Be strong and courageous to confront difficult texts. Allow people their boundaries. Thurman goes on to say, curious indeed is a form of arrogance that causes a person to feel that it is their peculiar right to set the world in order, to close all open things, to make all crooked paths straight. This is a great sacrilege. The text lets us know the boundaries in God's world. We don't choose these boundaries. The text can let us exhale that curious arrogance that we might think permits us, even for a second, that we can control only that which the author of life can control. Imagine with me a world where each of us took to heart the advice in this passage and used our strength to maintain each other's boundaries and our courage to not move boundary stones. Would there be a need for the movement of the trail of broken treaties with First Nation people? Would there be a campaign to stop killing indigenous folks? Would we need a movement to free folks of the tyranny of police? Would we have battles over natural resources on native lands? Would we have war or genocide or refugees? Would we have 
domestic violence or family systems dysfunction in this vision? Or would one pastor even deign to think they have a monopoly on the truth or impose their judgment on another? No. I think allowing healthy boundaries and agreed upon landmarks would usher in truth. It would be a measure of peace in the world, a recognition of our common destiny. By telling truthful stories about the source of confusion and where we've gone wrong in our interpretation, we can begin a path toward acknowledging the wrongs of our past. This is strong and courageous. This is a first step. There's more work to be done. The trailer that we watched is a documentary. I'd love to watch it with you all. There's a study guide. It is based in the Mennonite faith. Um, But let's continue to educate ourselves, right? Let's continue to think about this doctrine of discovery together. Let's learn how to advocate for indigenous people's rights now. In a moment, we're going to share communion together. Pastor Lanta is gonna invite us to the table. And I would invite up Elizabeth Sanders now, who's gonna help us with this creative project that we're gonna work on. So we have some land here, maybe. And what we're gonna do is take communion, participate in what so many communities are doing right now, having the body of Christ, and then we're gonna build something together. We're gonna put some dirt on this canvas. We're gonna get our hands in some earth, right? And, and I don't think this is the solution, but I think this will ignite something in our imaginations to, to think again about where we are, where we stand, who was here first, those layers, right? We can tell better stories. We can go out as carrier pigeons of truth to be strong and courageous and work toward redemption together. May God make it so. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta, across the street from Grant Park at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavbaptist.com. Now go into the world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God who created you loves you and empowers you. To love boldly. Live inclusively. And to serve creatively. Amen. Amen.